Talk 11, 10, 99, 3, WBT, the Pete Callender Show. You can email Pete at the Pete Callender Show. You can also hit me up on Twitter at Pete Callender. The number is 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. And Democrats see their worst fears in Virginia. <laughs> Sorry, I just felt like that was necessary. Democrats' worst fears are that they are on a course for a 2010-like drubbing in next year's midterm elections. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's what I see. But, oh, so I came close. That's not, I'm not making a prediction. I'm just saying, like, that's what it seems like might happen. It's possible. I'm not making a prediction. It's close, though. See, back in my younger days, I would have been, like, totally all in there making predictions. But not anymore. I don't do that anymore. Those fears got a lot stronger after Republican Glenn Youngkin won the governor's race in Virginia. President Joe Biden won Virginia by 10 points just one year ago. And if Democrats cannot generate more enthusiasm than their gubernatorial candidate Terry McAuliffe did, they'll likely be swept out of power in Congress. (laughs) Sorry. Felt like it needed that there, too. Youngkin shows the GOP the way. These are the big takeaways by the Associated Press's Nicholas Riccardi. Youngkin shows the GOP the way. This is, a lot of this, I think, is wish casting. I think there are a lot of people on the left that are saying, this is what you need, Republicans. This is what you need. Like, first off, never trust Democrats and media, but I repeat myself, to be telling you what Republicans and conservatives need to do to win, okay? Because they don't actually want you to win. They just want you to either lose to them or to adopt ideas that they also share so this way, if they do lose to you, they still get their ideas implemented, okay? So just a word of advice Don't take advice from people that disagree with you (laughs) on how to win the disagreement. Youngkin presented himself as a non-threatening suburban dad in a fleece vest. He embraced Trump just enough to win the GOP primary and rev up the party base, but was also able to target more moderate voters by talking about fiscal management and investing in schools and campaigning without the former president at his side. So I love that there is this, uh, and this is every election cycle, they do this with all the races virtually, which is, you know, what is the lesson that we all should learn here? And that's why I I start off by saying, as I did, you know, last hour, that the candidates matter and the time of the election matters. There are just certain things, like you just don't know what's going to be, like, for example, Donald Trump, right? He's positioned i thought pretty well for re-election got a booming economy with good economy going usually presidents get re-elected had already beaten back the you know that first uh impeachment uh thing and then like democrats were just they just seemed you know more and more unhinged and then of course what covid covid hits and by the way some of the exit polling and i'm not a huge believer anymore in exit polling but uh some of the some of the responses I thought were, I don't know, kind of illustrative and seemed to confirm my prior understanding. So I know there's a confirmation bias at play there. But people who are coming out of there saying that 
they're still terrified of COVID, they're all in for Terry McAuliffe. And like, that's, that's, yeah, that, 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 that's been one of the hallmarks of the pandemic. I've said it repeatedly. One of the most important pieces of data that I encountered during the, uh, since the beginning of the pandemic was the Gallup survey that found risk assessment to be wildly out of whack when compared to reality, particularly among the left. People on the left, they just, they have a misperception of the risk. They think their chance of catching it and dying from it are like one out of two. Just nuts. So targeting education on race. This was one of the uh, APs, their third big takeaway. Youngkin's signature issue was an unexpected one, education. He prevailed on the issue by both pledging to boost education funding and hammering public schools on hot-button social issues like race and transgender rights. Okay, first off, he's not just talking about boosting education funding. He's talking about vouchers, choice. And in case you guys in the media haven't seen the latest surveys that you folks in the media have put into the field, um, choice is a very, very popular thing across every demographic except for liberal white women. Seriously, it is a very popular thing. Every demographic agrees by like 70 percentage points. Like it's like 70, 30 across like almost every demographic. Again, except the white liberal women. Um, he said he would ban the teaching of critical race theory in Virginia classrooms, even though it's not a part of the secondary school curriculum. I love this. I, I, I love keep doing this media, please. Democrats keep doing this. Keep denying that critical race theory doesn't exist in K-12 education. Please keep saying that. Keep doing it. Here you go. Here was, uh, Andrea Mitchell. Uh, from uh, NBC News. Well, I was going to say, in Loudoun County, this is where critical race theory, this conspiracy theory that oh. is really made up, is not taught anywhere in Virginia schools. Oh. It was promoted, in fact, by a person who is connected to the Trump White oh, House. Oh, Christopher Rufo, I think she's talking about you. And so there's a whole train of people who are involved in setting this up, but Youngkin has used this issue and in the debate that Chuck was moderating, Terry McAuliffe kind of walked into it by saying a clip, which he says was out of context, which he said that parents, you know, shouldn't be involved in their school, in the kids' schools. And he has said over and over again since that he didn't mean it. He said it on Meet the Press. But the fact is that we saw in the exit polls that for the first time in any of our memory, education was second to the economy in the issue that voters cared most about. Yeah, why? Why? Because the right-wing media echo chamber somehow infected every single voter in Virginia? Or maybe, just spitballing here, maybe after staying at home for over a year with their kids and watching the garbage that's being promoted through the K-12 education system, parents were like, what the bleep is that? I'm just, just spitballing. Just an idea. It's possible. Parents became very aware of what their kids were and were not learning. We had teachers that refused to go back to work and then said, hey, well, at least they learned how to protest, even if they don't know how to read. And uh, our own uh, North Carolina Association of Educators president, Tamika Walker-Kelly, right? What does she say? Learning loss is a myth. It's a myth. So they close the schools, keep the kids out, and then the virtual lessons that they're learning are telling them how to be social justice warriors. 
parents got an up-close and personal view of the, the cultural revolution, the struggle sessions that their kids were being subjected to. And when they complained about it, when they went down to the school board meeting, they got targeted. I'm not even talking about the dad that got dragged out because he said his daughter got sexually assaulted in the bathroom. I'm not even talking about him. I'm talking about the parents that went down there to complain about these uh, anti-racism, white fragility, critical race theory inspired narratives that are getting injected into the K-12 curriculum. And when they complained about it, they got targeted by school board members and local community leaders who set up Facebook groups to dox them, to target them, to get them put out of business. Yeah, so that might be why education popped up as a pretty big topic for the election in Virginia. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, the uh, House Republican Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy doing a press conference now. Go ahead and join it here. In San Antonio, as Tony talked about, it's not the first time you took a seat that was 73% Hispanic and Republican won. Tony has led that charge. But a state house seat that is 73% Hispanic, but carried by Joe Biden by 14 points, flipped to a Republican. In Seattle, Washington, clear across the country, yes, you heard that right, Ann Davison, a Republican, is winning her race for city attorney. How many nights has there been a riot in Seattle, Washington? She's poised to be the first woman in that role and Republican in 32 years. All those elections, and also something else happened last night. We grew our conference one more. We're now 213, and it only takes 218 to be a majority, with Mike Carey winning in Ohio 15. I don't believe these races are just about Republicans. What it's about is failed policies the Democrats continue to push. I'm not sure what the speaker will do. I know we're on break next week and she's off to another European trip. I think that would make three in three months. <laughs> I don't, if I was a Democrat today, the one thing I would surely know, there's going to be a lot of retirements, either before the election or in 370 days. If you do not change course, if you do not start listening to the public, if you do not understand the policies you are pushing or making prices more expensive will be our most expensive Thanksgiving ever, that the gas and the price of gasoline is higher than we've watched in seven years, and the answer from your party is begging OPEC to produce more instead of America solving their own problems. A border that's unsecure, with no attention, trillions of dollars you want to push with no money there to secure the border, and your education policy is to push the attorney general to investigate parents. If you didn't know that was failed by the polling, if you didn't know that was a problem by the calls of Americans to your office, you should have woken up after last night because it wasn't just in Virginia. Shh, don't tell them. Stop it. It was in New Jersey. It was in Minneapolis. It was in Texas. And it was in Seattle. And one thing I will tell you is Republicans listen. We hear you. We know the places that we can improve, and we make this promise to you. 
we will soon unroll a parent's bill of rights. It doesn't matter your wealth, the color of your skin. Wouldn't that just be a bill of rights? Once you have a child, it is no longer what you become. It is now what opportunity your children will have. You have a right to know what's being taught in the school. You have a right to participate. Education is the great equalizer. We're all created equal. And we're going to make sure we make that happen across this country. With that, let's open it up for questions. Yes, ma'am. Uh, what role do you think <coughs> played in last night's election results? Um, this morning, the former president was on a conservative radio and said you know, he was responsible. The first question right out of the gate is about Donald Trump. But Youngkin kept Donald I can't Trump quit you. length and focused on policy and not on Donald Trump. So, I mean, what's your assessment? Caitlin Collins, I think, from CNN. Played, if any. Good Lord. My first was... <laughs> I guess I can't be surprised the morning after Republicans win across the nation. The media wants to yes. find division. Right. I watched the Republican Party more united, more people joining it, based upon policy. Policy matters. And I think when you saw the last 10 months, the policy of the Democrats, I think people were open to trying to find something much better. And they've had that experience under a Republican majority, and with President Trump in there. But I don't think after winning all these races, that's the question that would come before us. I think that's just another political ploy. Yes. Senator McCarthy, I know that you're saying that it's about the policy, but it's also about who's So a second question about Trump. Well, it's about who's talking about the policy, okay. and he wasn't there in Virginia talking about it. So is it a oh my sign God. that he's not essential for Republicans You guys are a win? joke. You're a caricature. You don't need him to have a successful night. Virginia I don't Fox know. Do you ever run for office? No. Okay, so your question is about Trump after we just held an election where inflation is higher than we've ever been apart. Right. We have a president that shuts down a pipeline with American jobs losing more than a million, but allows Putin to produce right. one. Where Putin is now bringing his own military to the border of Ukraine. We watched this president change by executive orders the border, where we're insecure or the security is gone. Right, so I was saying, Virginia Fox is standing behind Kevin McCarthy, and she just shook her head and was laughing at that second reporter's question. When his daughter was molested in a bathroom. We watched Republican after Republican, one who only spent $200 to take down a sitting president of the Senate. This is about policy. Hey, this is about a united guy. party. This isn't about division. And I don't agree with your question to start out with. I mean, to me, if there's anything the press should learn, you should learn from Terry, Terry McAuliffe. All he talked about was Trump as well. Oh, there you go. You say that policy matters, yet most of the things that you have talked about and your colleagues here have been about devolution, important to local school boards, the DMV. So what does that have to do with Washington? How can Washington Republicans champion these things if what you're talking about are things at the local level? Which is what you're all, all politics are local, but who was in Washington defending the parents? Who was in Washington questioning the attorney general? Who was in Washington asking him to rescind going after the parents when we found out it was one letter from one organization and they actually apologized after that hearing? Who has been in Washington saying don't defund the police? Who's been offering the legislation? So yeah, it's local politics, but you know what? We're all elected locally. So we bring those policies here because we listen to our constituents. 
there is a contrast between the Republicans and Democrats. There is a difference of belief. And I think that displayed pretty greatly in the election last night. Yes? Do you think the issue of education is going to be a top priority, top issue that you're going to be talking about heading into the midterms? Oh, I, I think education is always a top priority, but I think the one thing you will find is the Republican Party will be the party of education. Is that, is that, is that something that has been highlighted to you and something that you've learned from Youngkin and his, sort of his playbook? Have you spent any time with Virginia Fox or Elise or Congresswoman Letlow? Do you know what their life has been and what they experienced? This isn't the first time we've been fighting and talking about education, right? This isn't the first time we've been offering legislation about it. So All right, so that's Kevin McCarthy, that the House Republican leader, uh, doing a press conference. Looks like he's about to wrap it up. And let's toss it over to the WBT News Center. Mark Garrison sitting by, ready to go. Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, she got the job after uh, Liz Cheney got ousted, right? And um, she actually spoke before Kevin McCarthy did at this uh, press conference. And uh, as my friend Arby Pundit on uh, Twitter points out, this is why Liz Cheney doesn't have the job anymore. Take a listen to how Stefanik opened up this uh, press conference today. Not just a big night for Republicans, it was a big night for America. Americans across the country rejected President Biden and Speaker Pelosi's radical socialist agenda. The question now is, will Washington Democrats finally wake up and listen to the American people who have rejected this far-left agenda? Unfortunately, what we've seen is the answer is no. This morning, they are doubling down. What did we learn from last night? We learned that parents should be empowered to make decisions about their children's education, not the federal government. We learned that Americans want more jobs, not more government welfare and reckless spending creating inflation. Americans want to fund their police departments, not defund them. Americans want freedom not far-left socialism. This is the message that united Americans across the country, from New Jersey to New York to Virginia to Texas. It united Americans behind Republicans last night, and it is exactly what House Republicans have been saying for months. Republicans are the party of parents, of education, of small businesses, of freedom, and of family. Democrats are the party of big government socialism, creating crisis after crisis. Even after their losses, Nancy Pelosi doubled down on her agenda yet again this morning. And that is exactly why she is a lame duck Speaker of the House. Republicans have a better optimistic vision for our nation, and we will continue to talk about the issues that matter to the American people. There you go. Republicans are the party of parents, of education of small businesses, of freedom, and of family. That's it. And that's what Liz Cheney was incapable of communicating. The problem is, is that there are factions inside the GOP, especially once a part, and by the way, this happens all the time when parties become uh, the majority. You end up with people that are solely interested in getting power or getting, you know, things that they want, and so they glom on to whatever that party in power's uh, principles are. They, they pay lip service to the principles. 
when in fact they don't agree. They just are in it for the power or they're in it for the perks, whatever. But if 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 this becomes sort of the the mission statement for the GOP, I, I think this is this is the path to success. I think. Um, again, take this from where it's coming from. It's you know what do I know? I'm just a radio host. But framing yourselves as the party of parents, of family, of education. And by the way, when you say education, you mean education, not necessarily public schools. It's one of the things, um, as a a Democratic uh, former state representative, Marcus Brandon, uh, said to me one time, and we were talking about uh, school funding in North Carolina, the Leandro case, and um, we were talking about, you know, the right to a sound basic education. And he pointed out, yeah, like there's a, there's the North Carolina Constitution guarantees an education, right? But not public schools. And there's a difference. There is a difference. And that's what I am hoping that COVID has opened people's eyes to when people had to make, because, you know, necessity, the mother of invention, right? Like people had to make different decisions because the schools shut down and hopefully people kind of got a glimpse of what a different kind of uh, voucherized system might look like. And again, I say this as one, see like vouchers are a midpoint for me. That's my compromise. That's me meeting you halfway. If you're like pro public schools, pro K-12 government monopoly schools, me meeting you halfway is saying, okay, how about we give vouchers and then you can keep your K-12 schools, but you got to compete with these other people that were that would start up different schools that would focus on different things and provide alternatives to kids that don't do well in your one-size-fits-all setting. How about that? How about options? Dare I call it choice, right? How about some school choice? That's my halfway point. That's mean compromising. Because I'm a nice person. I'm all about solutions. I say it all the time here. I don't know, Jimmy. Let me see here. Hello, Jimmy. Welcome to the program. What's up? Hey there, Pete. Hey. I'm just I'm just wondering what's what's the what is the breaking point from the these uh people who voted for Biden? Is it is gonna take eight dollars, you know, for gas? Is it gonna take uh uh uh, uh Fifty thousand dollars to get a cup of coffee. What is what is it going to take? I feel like you're trying to walk me into a Mitt Romney forty-seven percent gaff right here. That I'm. (laughs) (laughs) I no. I mean, you got a bunch of people that they're always going to vote for the Democrat. It doesn't matter, right? The gas could be twenty dollars a gallon, and they they're they're going to say that that's protecting Gaia Earth. So um, (laughs) yeah, I I don't know what a uh, what a breaking point looks like for them. And I don't know when that breaking point would occur. I suspect we would see something like it uh, come the midterms. So a year well, from now, right? That might, and, and who knows what, the, what it's going to look like a year from now. Things could be much better. They could be much worse. Uh, it looks like to me Virginia and uh, New Jersey has already hit the breaking point with the, with the CRT schooling and all the other stuff. I would, you know, the, I hope the Democrats propose a, a hundred trillion dollar uh, spending package. How about doing that? There you go. <laughs> right. I mean, if three trillion is a good idea, why not a hundred trillion? 
And if debt doesn't matter and deficits don't matter with modern monetary theory, like that's what they're that's they're promoting. That so if they're going to promote it, then yeah, why not? Like this, I I like to play that game too. When when people talk about like the minimum wage, we have fifteen dollars an hour. Well, why not a hundred dollars an hour? <laughs> right? Why not? Like, are you so if if fifteen dollars is going to help a bunch of people, then why wouldn't a hundred dollars help even more people? So yeah, why not a hundred trillion? There you go. I like where you. I like the way you're thinking, Jimmy. I appreciate the call, buddy. Thank you. I don't know what the uh, what the breaking point is. I suspect you know it's different for everybody, but I suspect usually when it personally affects somebody, and when people start getting their personal budgets depleted, I suspect that's when it becomes really real. I think this Christmas might be a pretty big turning point as well. I do. I think it's going to be this could be this could leave some this could leave some scars. But we shall see. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The Speaker of the House will join me after the uh, news 2. This was CNN's Nia Malika Henderson. On CNN last night when they were trying to decipher why, oh, why have the Democrats lost so badly everywhere around America? I think we also see the enduring power of the culture wars and the Republicans are better at playing this game because it's essentially white identity politics that works for Republicans. We saw it in 2016, uh, and we're seeing it in some of these races now, particularly uh, in the McAuliffe race with the CRT issue uh, and education. There you go. It's white identity politics. We see the enduring power of the culture wars. It is essentially white identity politics that works for Republicans. That's the reason. That's the explanation, which is, by the way, again, viewing everything through the prism of race. Like they can't help themselves. <laughs> it just it, once you once you train your brain to only see race as the reason for everything, you can't see Anything other than that. Gosh, I mean, that's that's got to stink. Here is uh, Nicole Wallace over on MSNBC. The other piece was this uh, frustration about the lack of fire. Why not fight for voting rights? Why not give speeches about there was one speech given. One speech mm-hmm. about democracy. It was beautiful. It was in Philadelphia, but no one's touched it since. <laughs> and what is happening in sort of Republican America, it's not just critical race theory. It's it's saying, you know, fraud happened. Their people believe there was fraud, so they're fixing it. So, right. so Republican voters think Republicans are fake. Never mind that it's fake. That's right. Critical race theory isn't taught. It means something different to voters. They think it is. So Republicans are fixing it. Youngkin's going to ban it. And some of it is just a question for Democrats now. Do you adjust to a terrain that is not fair, that is not just, that is all right. fact-based? But the, at this tonight looks like it advantages Republicans. See, it's not fair. There, you guys just made up this whole thing about critical race theory. It doesn't even exist. I don't know what you're even talking about. By the way, everybody who voted against our people are racist. They don't even see it. They don't hear themselves. So no, like I got this uh, tweet from from uh, Ray. Maybe after last night, the Democrats will realize that these moonbat ideas and policies are not as popular as they keep telling themselves they are. One can hope. No, they they will not. They're in denial, not just a river in Egypt. They are in denial about their ideas, about why people oppose them. It, 
I say it all the time. Like we have different ideas about how to arrive at very similar destinations, if not the same destination. I want all kids to be able to read at grade level. I do. I want all kids to be able to read at grade level. I want them to be able to do math at grade level. I want them to be able to get out of high school and have a, a career, right? What Doing whatever it is they want. I want them to dream big. I want them to be successful. I want to give them the tools to do that. I want to teach them the habits of successful people. I have a different idea on how that happens, though. I don't believe that K-12 government education is doing the job. And I don't believe it does the job for a lot of kids. And I say that as one who is a product of the K-12 system. Now, granted, I, I went to K-12 up in New York. But I was bored in a lot of classes. I spent a lot of time, I wasted a lot of time in K-12 education on stuff that was completely irrelevant, that did not inspire. I had terrible teachers, and I, had a, I went to school in a good school district, a quote-unquote good school district, right? I had terrible teachers. I knew who they were. Everybody knew who they were. So don't tell me that, like, this is the best system that we can, that, that we can construct. This system was built over a century ago for a completely different kind of society. And now I come along and say, hey, maybe we should, I don't know, look to modernize this, do things a little differently. You know, maybe kids don't learn best when you just sit them in a room and have somebody droning on in front of them for, uh, you know, an hour or so. Maybe they need some, some frequent breaks. Maybe some kids learn better. Like, here's the thing. I learn better if I hear stuff. I know, it's kind of weird. A guy in radio, it's weird. But, like, that's why when I, I would go to city council meetings, county commission meetings for, like, a decade here in Charlotte. I would cover these meetings. And when I would hear people make these presentations, I, w- I would remember what they said. I could remember what I can remember what people say. It's almost I don't want to say it's recall. I don't like total recall. And I don't like that at all. I don't have like a, a a photographic memory or photogenic memory either. I don't have any of these things. I just remember better when I hear somebody say stuff more so than uh, if I'm just reading it. If I'm reading it, I got to read through it a couple times because my mind wanders as I read. I know it takes me a long time to do show prep. <laughs> But that's what worked for me. And maybe I would have benefited from different teaching methods, from different uh, pedagogies, right? Maybe. But back then, nobody cared about that stuff. (laughs) It was just you go into this classroom and uh, you're going to listen to... I I literally had a teacher that she would write all of the the notes for the day. This was a health class of all classes, a health class. And she would write all of the notes for that day on the chalkboards, plural, across the whole front of the room and then down the side. And then she even had some, I think, on the back. And she had maps and she would pull all the maps. So she would cover all the thing, all the boards. And so then she would just lift them up one at a time. And so everybody would have to write. You you literally sat there and copied her notes off of the board. I am not somebody who learns like that. I could not tell you anything that I learned in that class. Anything. Now, according to the, the education activists and advocates in the Democratic Party and the media, I'm supposed to be on board with paying that teacher the same amount of money as the best teacher that I had. 
and that's garbage. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to sign on. I'm not going to reward that terrible teacher because she has not gotten fired in a system that won't fire her. So, and she was a lovely person. She's just a really bad teacher for me, for me, just my opinion. So when Republicans cast themselves now as the party of education, you're going to hear a lot of Democrats say, that's impossible. They're Republicans. They won't pay for more funding for the schools. They have a different idea. So do I think uh, a different idea of how to get to the destination of a good education? A different uh, route does not mean a different goal. So do I think the Democrats are going to now, you know, come to some different conclusion after seeing these results? I do not. No, I do not. But we shall see. Speaker Moore coming up next.